This is the Payback Time Podcast, where we interview driven individuals who have achieved or are well on their way to achieving financial freedom. We break down the steps required to generate leveraged income, including but not limited to stock investing, online business, traditional business, and real estate. Each episode breaks down the mistakes made, victories achieved, and the overall journey that led them to where they are today. Sean Tepper is your host, and here is today's episode. My next guest is all about that fire movement. She is well on her way to early retirement. She owns a creative agency. She's also an adjunct professor, which adds a ton of credibility for her sales pitch. And she's a public speaker, which is actually a great lead gen source for her agency. Please welcome Lori Hybe. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for joining me today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. All right. If you would kick us off and give us a little context on the backstory of your career. I worked at two agencies before deciding to start my own. Um, I actually went to school nights and weekends while working full time right out of high school. So I'm very non-traditional. When I say I've got 20 years experience in the marketing world and people look at me and go, you have, you've been working for 20 years. <laughs> sure. um, there's a little bit of a shock there, but um, yeah, it took me 12 years to finish my master's um, from uh, early on, started going mm-hmm. for my associates and, and that's because I took the very non-traditional route, but I loved it because I was able to apply what I was learning immediately into the roles that I was working at um, and the agencies that I was at. So um, I started out at a web development firm, was there for five and a half years, was doing SEO before that acronym was really um, mainstream and mm-hmm. um, went to a traditional shop, meaning I was doing the non-digital thing. So I was buying ads for outdoor and radio and doing direct mail campaigns, which was fun. But, you know, that internet thing was kind of cool and sexy. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I decided this is where I really want to be. Um, and the agency I was at at the time was uh, getting ready for their retirement years. Mm-hmm. So wasn't really interested in this new, hot, sexy thing called the internet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so after um, short story, which I think we're going to go a little bit deeper into it, but sure. it was 2008 and the market was not. Um, very attractive for finding new gigs. So I decided to um, leave that agency and start my own firm. Cool. All right. So let's start there. That's a perfect segue into that transition. So you were working at an agency and I assume you had a salary, correct? Yeah, it was a really nice salary, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Which can make it more difficult to leave. So with that firm you were at, how were they doing coming into the recession in 2008? In 2008, they were, they were doing fairly well still, actually. Um, the, the client, the customer base that they served was not impacted significantly by the recession. So um, a lot of the B2B customers, um, manufacturing, and that's kind of where we focus on today still, at least the customers that I was working with directly, um, I did not see any major impacts as far as uh, spend went and investing in their marketing dollars. So that didn't have an impact on 
on the business that I was in specifically. But I, I did see when I was trying to, you know, find something new to do, um, it was really challenging. I imagine. And the reason I ask that question is sometimes when you, you are on a sinking ship, there's pressure to either find another position or start a company. So it sounds like you didn't have that pressure. Um, that company was performing well. So how did you make that transition to Keystone? Did you start the business while you were employed and maybe like built up a little client base? How did that work? Sure. So um, the, the pain or the trigger was that, as I said, they weren't necessarily interested in really diving into the digital space at all. Um, mm -hmm. And we're really focused on the traditional marketing, which is fun, but I'm, you know, I, I like evolution. I like shiny new things. Sure. So that's where the internet definitely made sense to move to. I, I did a lot of research on how to start a business because I decided, you know, if this opportunity isn't out there to jump into a new role and there weren't a lot of companies that even understood what was happening on the internet and how to, you know, what type of person to bring to their team. Um, so I, I tried to look to be in-house somewhere, but there was still a lot of gray areas as far as what that role even looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, I did find, um, I just historically was always kind of doing some side work, helping people with their websites and whatnot, just because of the work that I'd done at the previous um, agency in the web world. So I had a little bit of freelance work already. Nice. Um, so I built out a plan and a business plan. Um, and then I just gave myself a, a drop dead date and said, um, I let my employer know and gave them a month okay. uh, so that there was time for them to find a replacement. And then I was able to train that individual, but also, you know, document all the processes so that I tried to make it as smooth of a transition as possible because I loved the clients that I was working with at that time um, and wanted to make sure that they were well taken care of. Uh, so then after, after I, I did that, launched the new business, um, I basically blasted every person I know on this planet with a message <laughs> that said, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Let me know if you're interested or if you know someone that needs a website. So I, I sent email blasts. I did direct mail blasts. Um, and that's where I got my first three clients from. Nice. Okay. So it sounds like you had a little bit of income before the transition. So you had a little runway, in other words. Is that correct? Yes. Nice. Yeah, not a lot because I didn't really know what I was doing from managing a business perspective and my time sure. and whatnot. It was more helping people out than being strategic from a business standpoint. Yep. Okay, that's good to know because there's people out there that they'll start a business like with no income and it's like they jump in, but you took a more conservative approach and built up a little runway, even though it wasn't a whole lot. Um, you had momentum and you could use, you know, the clients you serve to gather a testimonial or case study and kind of leverage that, I assume, to uh, get more clients. Yeah, I did do some pro bono work to build a meteor portfolio and capture some of those testimonials. And I was definitely strategic about who I did that for. Mm -hmm. and, and that helped as well. Now, you said you focused on websites. Were you designing and developing these on your own or did you hire contractors? I hired contractors initially. 
Um, and then over time decided to build a team myself, which that was probably the biggest um, learning curve and mm. pivotal point in my business. That's when it changed from I have a job to I'm running a business. Sure. Yeah. You're not just a freelancer. You have employees. So yes. <laughs> let's, let's continue on the timeline here. 2008, you start Keystone, click. And how long did that take until you started hiring employees? I believe I hired my first part-time employee in 2009, and that was more of an internship role. But in 2010, I actually obtained a business loan to secure two full-time employees. So they were both individuals that were working for me fairly consistently on a contract basis. Um, and I, and we all had agreed that it would just make sense to move them to full-time. And that was kind of the big shift to, like I said, from, from, I, I have a job to I'm running a business. Sure. Sure. Okay. So the loan, um, what, what size of loan did you take out? I took out $40,000. Okay. Give you a little cushion here. So you, you could use that along with the income from the clients. Mm-hmm. So that probably took a little stress off. You know, if you're waiting for checks to come in from clients, you know, you've got this $40,000 to lean on. Yes. Yep. Kind of my, awesome. my cash reserve for, to, for payroll purposes. Just wanted to make sure that I had, um, yeah, I had that covered so that I could confidently get them up and running to um, generating new business and executing the work that we were bringing in the door. Gotcha. Can you talk about the roles that these two individuals played? What, what did they do within your business? Sure. One was a web developer. Okay. So um, designing and developing websites. So basically they, this individual was um, my, my full-time contractor. You know, every project had gone to, to this person, um, which before I found him, I probably went through about five or six different contractors. And, and once I found him, I'm like, oh, you are awesome. You're staying with me. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And that's when he actually brought it to me and said, you know, why don't I just work for you full time instead of us going back and forth for every little project and getting quotes and whatnot. Sure. Um, yeah. And so that worked out really well. And the other gentleman that I brought onto the team was more um, account management. And so he was responsible for bringing in his own new book of business, but also managing and servicing the clients that we had. Got it. Okay. All right. So that was 2010. Is that correct? Yes. Got it. Okay. So the firm is growing. And how long until you started adding more people? Because you've got a, a lot more people today. Is that correct? Yeah, I've actually kind of rubber banded a little bit. I think we, looking back, um, I think our team was up to 11 or 12 people at one time. And that wow. just was way too fast of growth. And that's, you know, you go from a team of three people to to five to seven to 10, that significantly changes culture. It changes, you have to evaluate your processes. And we didn't have any of those fleshed out because how you say, Hey, I've got a new project. This is what you got to do when there's two people on totally different experience when you're at sure. 10. So um, I, I'm kind of reflecting back on the timeline here. I want to say it was probably like 2012 that we were up to that high. And then, um, and then we, we definitely scaled, we scaled back. So, um, 
slowly went down to 10 and then eight. Um, and just recently, I'd say in the last year, I've kind of realigned and restructured the business a little bit. Sure. Um, so we're at five right now. Uh, and that was very strategic. So we used to have a team, um, people that had very specific skill sets and expertise, but then the volume of their work fluctuated so much. So sometimes they were, you know, producing 75, 80% of the time billable work, but other times they're down to 20, 30% billable. So, you know, because of that fluctuation, it does not, it doesn't make sense (laughs) uh, for me to pay that overhead when I don't have billable work coming, um, being executed with them. So, uh, we've shifted to be more strategic with the individuals that we're working with more on a freelance or contract basis, mm-hmm. um, but then keeping the internal team more focused on the account management, uh, making sure they're delivering a very high level client experience. Um, so I'd say our team internally is more strategic and then we align ourselves with the right individuals to do some of that tactical uh, implementation and execution of the work. Sure, sure. So it sounds like you've really learned how to optimize your business to run more efficiently with, the, with probably your, your star players. Is that correct? Yes. And it took quite some time to get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> right. As it does. I mean, you have a service business and if you're doing a lot of project work and I assume the projects are usually fixed bid, is that right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, so you bring up a good point. You're going to be busy one moment and you could be waiting the next, especially if you got proposals going out and you're waiting for uh, the green light from clients. So uh, that makes sense. Let's break down some of the services within. So websites, that's one service. I assume SEO, is that another service within? Yeah. So, um, we look at things a little bit bigger than just uh, itemizing the services. And I I like to say that we are really focused on the strategic approach to any company's uh, marketing plan. So instead of just saying, Hey, Sean, you need to do some SEO for your website and you're going to just get all this new business automatically. Let's step back (laughs) and figure out really who is your target customer? Where are they engaging online? What is, the, what is their biggest pain and how are they actually searching to solve the problem that they have? Where are they getting their information from? Who's influencing their buying decisions? So we start by conducting a ton of research and then building a plan that says, all right, this is what you need to say. This is where you need to say it, how often you need to say it, because this is where your customer is and this is how and uh, how they're going to, we're going to attract them to you. Sure. Um, that's been, that works. If you, instead of the, I call it the, the spray and pray method, mm-hmm. you know, you need to be super strategic, um, especially because there's so many different ways to communicate nowadays. I mean, the internet has something new every day, new channel that you can be on to be, you know, putting your message out there. So understanding being strategic is our core. And then we look at those tactical initiatives that say, oh, you know what? People are going to Google. Therefore, we need to do some SEO on your site or it's really competitive. We should probably buy some ads on Google Um, or, hey, you know what? Everyone's watching video right now. So uh, let's do some videos and these are the channels we're going to place these videos on. 
Gotcha. So how long does this discovery phase usually take? Is this like a week, a few weeks? This is an, an eight week process. Wow. Yeah, we go deep. <laughs> the first four weeks are heavily focused on, on research. So we, um, we start with a, a deep discovery meeting, kickoff meeting, and then we go, um, we do our own research around the messaging and the language. We actually interview our clients' customers to understand their thinking. You know, why mm -hmm. are they working with this company? Um, who is influencing them? What, what websites do they visit? Are they spending more time on their phones? Or are they more on the desktop computers? Um, so once we're done conducting all that research, we'll present the research to, to the client, but halfway point just to say, these are all of our findings, any major red flags um, that need to be resolved immediately or communicated right away. Um, and then we, we talk about this is the direction we're going based on our research, and then we build out that plan. Let's take a quick commercial break. Do you wish you would have bought some stocks earlier? Imagine buying Amazon for $125 in 2010. Today, Amazon is over $2,500. Imagine buying Facebook for $25 in 2013. Today, Facebook is over $200. Imagine buying Netflix for $60 in 2014. Today, Netflix is over $400. Do you feel like you find out about great stocks too late? What if you could find great stocks before they become mainstream news? And what if there's a software that found those stocks for you? With Ticker, you can find great stocks before what feels like the rest of the world finds out. Does this sound too good to be true? Check this out. Ticker was backtested from 1999 through 2019 and has proven to beat the market every year. The lowest return was 10% and the highest return was 96%. Get started today with a free trial. Visit ticker.pro. That's T-Y-K-R.pro. Again, ticker.pro. Do you sell this as like a discovery phase and like an execution phase thereafter? Yes. You do? Yep. Okay. We, and we, we, yeah, I was going to say, I assume when you approach a client and you present a proposal, you really, you probably lay out phases. Is that right? Yeah, so it, it's actually kind of a two-part sales process, actually. Step okay. one is you need to engage us to do the research and build a plan for you. Um, the plan is built in such a way that I could just hand it to you and then you can have someone else execute it if you'd sure. like. Um, but yeah, the final kind of piece of the presentation and the strategy is, okay, if you want us to do this for you, this is what your investment is going to be. And that's... Um, you know, when you're, when you're talking the financial state, that's where the gold is because that's recurring revenue typically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now I, for the discovery phase, do you charge, is it like a project fee or do you charge like a, uh, like a monthly fee? It's a, it's a flat project fee. Got it. Okay. And do you kind of create a range depending on the size of the customer or the work involved, or is it pretty much the same price? Uh, the scope is clearly defined and typically what happens is you know you present it and then there's oh you know i'm not really interested in you interviewing my customers so we'll adjust sure. the scope or like um when we just kicked off today they said uh could you interview more of our customers i'm like <laughs> that's a good sure. thing sure <laughs> that's gonna cost you more but yeah right. um and and so we've, we've kind of got a here's the base the baseline of the 
the research and the strategy, um, we can do more and we can do less. Got it. Okay. And can you give us a range like on the low end up to the high end and what this would look like for a discovery phase, a two month discovery? Sure. So the, the base package that we start from is $10,000. Okay. Um, we can go when we, if we are pulling in a third party to do some really deep research, it can go up to $20,000. Um, if we're looking at, if someone's just interested in, you know, I just really, I want to understand the messaging and the keywords that would be more around the, the $3,000 range. Sure. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that gives the audience a good benchmark to understand. Um, and a lot of, I've seen this before with management consulting firms, they will break things apart. So, hey, you've got us for the discovery. Here's the cost. Here's your plan. You can take that and execute with somebody else or you can go with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's cool. You provide that flexibility. Now, getting into the execution, you mentioned a reoccurring model. Do you try to set up the execution phase so it's, it is like a monthly fee so the customer knows how much they're paying every month or how does that work? Yes, it's typically a monthly engagement fee. Um, and we build it out in 90 day plans. Um, so usually what's happening is the company first 90 days, there's a lot that needs to be done. You know, maybe they've never built, um, you know, they were never on LinkedIn. So we need to build that profile or they've never bought ads before. So we have to start getting everything set up. So it's more of like a ramp up period. And then we look at the next 90 days and, and the following 90 days. And, and it's really dependent on the specific tasks. But for the most part, it is a consistent monthly retainer. Cool. Okay. And do you present like metrics or results on like a monthly basis or like every quarter? How does that work? Well, communication is extremely important to make sure that any marketing campaign is, uh, is going to work. So sure we do weekly email updates and if if more communication is required um at that time then we'll schedule a call but we always try to do a monthly meeting where we are uh, sharing the the key performance indicators that we've identified in the strategy so part of this what's important is we're saying here are the goals that we've identified and this is how we're going to measure um the tactics that are telling us whether or not we're in alignment to reach our goals so the internet has so many ridiculous data points that can be collected. I think it's extremely <laughs> important on the front end to say, this is how we're going to measure what it is that we're doing instead of looking at data that doesn't add any value. Sure. Right. And you're probably asking your client, what metrics are you looking to track and you help them mm-hmm. track that specifically? Yep. Cool. Okay. Can you give us a range on the monthly reoccurring on the low end up to the high end? Sure. To, to make any sort of progress, I'd say typically it's a low end would be like $3,000 a month. And sure. on the high end, um, $10,000, $15,000 a month. I mean, there's so many variables on sure. industry level of competition. Um, and that would be fully loaded, which includes any third party spend. So if we're looking at, um, you know, if we're saying, hey, you need to be doing Google ads, well, that also, you know, there's an investment on top of our management fee to actually pay Google to run mm-hmm. these ads. Right. Right. There's a lot of costs that go into that, not just the labor, like your staff, but some of those hard costs, like paying a platform like Google ads or Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. 
they definitely have costs. Okay, that's a really smart business model. You know, I had a business in the, the earlier days and we were project-based. We didn't set up a reoccurring model. I already moved on, but uh, it's, it's really cool to see the agencies that really shine out there are the ones that move away from that project-based and move into a reoccurring business model, which is what you did with Keystone. Mm-hmm. So when did you make that transition from like doing projects to moving into like more of a reoccurring model? At one point, you know, we started out strictly doing websites and I know that was kind of a world that that you and I both played in at one point, um, which is somewhat ironic because my expertise and background was more, as I said earlier, like on the SEO and email marketing and, and really all the tactics around driving people to your website. Mm-hmm. So we're building these websites and then our clients would say, well, how do, how do we get found in Google? And how do, how do I get people to visit my site? And I would just tell them what to do. <laughs> and then they'd come back and say, well, can't you do that for me? I'm like, well, hello, of course I can. <laughs> Why didn't I think sure. of this earlier? So um, at that point, we started mapping out some marketing related offerings. Um, and and some of it was still project based, like oh we're gonna we're gonna send an email out and it's um you know three hundred dollars per email something along those lines. Sure. And um, so but then you have to constantly resell them on this. So then we shifted to well let's let's make this a year contract because this is more you have to be consistent when you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say it was probably about seven or eight years ago, roughly around the time nice. my team got really big, you know, when we started looking at the recurring uh, revenue model. Um, yep. And then I, I got a little bit more strategic. So I'd say right now, like 50% of our business is project-based, which is that website work, but there is yep. also a level of recurring revenue that comes with that. Um, maintenance, uh, right? Maintenance, uh, hosting. Um, yeah. And then we can build in some of the marketing, like the SEO and constant, you know, security updates, um, that come with that. But then I'd say 50% of our work is on the recurring, uh, yep. activity side. And that, that was strategic. I did that on purpose. Yeah, that's, that's smart. You, you make it easy because you've got a lot of overhead. So you want to make sure you've got an income stream that is consistent. And then, you know, on the client's end too, nobody likes surprises. So, mm-hmm. right, you lay out a proposal that says, hey, you've got, you know, the next 90 days every month is going to be this payment because I think we've both been there when you, you rack up a bunch of hours or there's a bunch of time invested and you got to send an invoice to the customer and you're like, oh boy, you're not going to like this. <laughs> Yep. I'm ready for the call to come in. (laughs) Exactly. You don't want that. So, well, cool. That's, that's a great story on Keystone and and how you've been able to grow that and now really optimize the business. So um, let's make a transition over to public speaking. When did you start public speaking and and what is your topic? I want to say, yeah, it was probably about six years ago or so. I, um, I realized that I need to be the thought leader for my, my company, my brand. Mm-hmm. I can't hide behind, um, you know, hide behind the Keystone click name. And uh, so I, I started getting more involved in chambers and, you know, oftentimes you're at a chamber meeting and you, it's your turn to do, you get five minutes to present versus the 30 second commercial. And sure. I, I did it and it was absolutely horrible. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I won a client out of it. So I just cool. did a terrible job. And I asked the client, um, like, why did you decide? <laughs> I knew I did a terrible job. Why did you decide to, to come to me and, and decide you to hire us? And, and her response was, the information that you shared was amazing. I didn't pay attention to your delivery. She's like, I was, I was a teacher at one point. So I, I only, when, you know, when, when students would give their presentations, I would just listen to their message and not worry about what mm. it is that they were doing and how they did it. So that, um, for some reason that triggered something in me that said, okay, so I know that I know my stuff. I've got a good message to share. I just need to work on how I deliver it. <laughs> sure. Um, but I was just fascinated by the fact that I had such a poor delivery and I still was able to win a client and it was a, a good, like $30,000 website project. So, I mean, wow. And that That's... was one five minute terrible presentation. <laughs> <laughs> Humility. I like it. Um, that's, that's awesome. So I could see that as being motivating because it's like, okay, so self-reflection, great content delivery you know you can improve and and so what did what did you do after that did you say hey i have to line up more of these speaking engagements because if i can keep getting leads like that this would be great yeah i i as anything i love to just dive in with research and figure out how do mm -hmm. i do this um so how do I improve my speaking? I attended Toastmasters and that was great. I wish sure. I had more time to invest in that. My challenge with that was um, creating content that did not necessarily add value to me. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I, uh, beyond just the getting the constructive criticism and feedback from the others that were in the room. So I do highly recommend Toastmasters. Um, the other thing I did to really help my speaking was I took an improv class at Comedy Sports. Nice. And, and that was probably the big differentiator and totally shifted my mindset on, on being on stage. Um, so again, if anyone has some fear of public speaking, which, you know, we all do, I still get sure. super nervous, but I have a totally different level of confidence and I reposition my nerves into an excitement if I can. Um, but I just got more involved in networking. And the other thing I did is I just started telling people, you know, networking is great as far as people wanting to connect and help. So when individuals would say, what can I do to help you? My answer would be, I'm looking to do more speaking. Cool. And so you just got to tell people what you want and then it's going to come back. And that's where the opportunities started, started opening up. So I think um, every year they've gotten more and more opportunities and I've done some traveling. Um, cool. So I've spoken nationally. I've had some paid gigs I, I've, I've done a lot of uh, the free gigs as well, but mm -hmm. it's not necessarily free if I'm speaking to my audience. So right. I'm definitely willing to make that time investment to share my message to those that I want to hear it. Um, what are the topics you focus on? Yeah. So my expertise is definitely digital marketing. I, I cover a lot of that, just getting your message out there. 
Um, I can do really narrow or really wide. Um, so high level, talk a lot about strategy and why it's important to be strategic in your marketing plan and marketing activities. Um, but I've gotten, like I said, really narrow and can go deep into SEO or pay-per-click. Um, speak a lot on podcasting because, uh, mm -hmm. as you can see, this is a fantastic platform to get your message out there. Sure. And I've also talked uh, on networking because I, too, have a podcast um, where I talk about networking. I interview professionals and executives on the topic of networking. Um, and I've gotten I've had over 200 interviews. Um, so I've actually been asked to speak on the topic of networking a couple of times. Um, and I've really enjoyed that. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. And I can see how your agency dovetails right into the public speaking and they kind of feed off each other. Um, that's great. So how often are you speaking? Well, before COVID, right. <laughs> it was, um, I would say on average, two times a month. Okay, gotcha. And that was my target was to do you know, 24 engagements a year. Um, not too many, not too little. It's enough to always have some content to, from a promotional standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, and as long as I've got a new audience hearing my message every other week, it's not a bad thing. Let's take a quick commercial break. The backstory on Ticker has a not-so-glamorous, humble beginning. I've been investing for the last 10 years, but the first five years, I focused only on angel investing. In other words, I would invest time or money in private tech startups with a goal in mind to sell that tech startup for a 10x multiple. Needless to say, that's a lot easier said than done. In fact, I never achieved that result. I actually lost money 90% of the time. After five years of consistent losses, I had to make a change. What I was doing wasn't working. Since I couldn't find success as an angel investor in the private market, I took a step back and turned my attention to the public market, but I took a different approach. See. I knew billionaire investors did not guess their way to the accumulation of massive wealth. They don't use emotions, feelings, and beliefs. They use logic, and the foundation of logic is math. This is when I decided to read as many boring investment books as I could to see if I could understand that math. See, publicly traded companies have historical data you can use to calculate the trajectory of a business. I applied my software engineering background to create an algorithm, and within the same year, I achieved a 15% return compared to the market average of 6%. And then went on to refine the algorithm and achieve returns ranging between 15% and 50% over the next few years. Then things got really interesting. In the summer of 2019, I backtested ticker through the 2008 recession. And in 2008, the S&P 500 went down 38% while ticker went up 24%. I then backtested Ticker from 1999 through 2019, and Ticker has proven to beat the market every year. The lowest return was 10%, and the highest return was 96%. That is the moment when I decided I can't keep this algorithm for myself. I need to turn this into a platform to share with others. That's when I decided to create Ticker. If you're looking to make significantly higher returns in the market, Ticker is perfect for you. Go ahead and get signed up with a free trial. Visit ticker.pro. Well, let's transition again. We want to go into your professor career. So um, where do you teach? Uh, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Okay. And when did you start there? I've been doing that for three and a half years now, I want to say. Okay. 
And what classes do you teach? I teach B2B sales and marketing and principles of marketing. What's your time investment in something like that per week? Well, if I looked at the time versus money ratio, it does not come out very nicely, (laughs) Uh, but that's okay. Uh, Let's see, the classes themselves are about two and a half hours per class. And I probably spend um, another three hours a week just prepping and communicating with the students. So yeah, I'd say about six, seven hours a week. Okay. Well, it's not too overwhelming, but you know, I look at the resume and when you talk to businesses and you put that down, like, hey, I'm an adjunct professor, like that's got to say something. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, we target B2B companies. And when I am in a meeting and say I'm at a local university teaching B2B sales and marketing, that is instant credibility. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I could see that kind of like the public speaking. It's not always the most lucrative, especially you know, where you're at, that's great. You're getting paid, but it's probably not like a Tony Robbins out there. Right. Oh no, <laughs> right. <laughs> that would be great. But there's a long path to get to that point. Right. But you have a service offering that makes a perfect, you know, lead tool. In other words, the, the speaking and the, the work you do with the university, that's a great lead generating tool or in the university case, that's a credibility standpoint. So even though it's not a huge time investment that all factors into your agency. So totally. Yeah. Smart plays there. Very cool. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's transition over to investing. So you're a self-directed investor and you also do consult with a financial advisor. You want to break down the percentages for us? Sure. So about 80% of our our money is self-managed and about 20% is more with the prospective investments. And that's focusing heavily on real estate investment and energy funds. And that's where we have the advisors coming in and having the conversations with us. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask what sectors you focus on there. So, so let's focus our attention on the self-directed strategy. What is your strategy for your portfolio? Do you balance out between mutual funds, index funds, ETFs, or individual stocks? Um, I don't have the exact percentages, but it's uh, a mix of index funds and mutual funds. Don't have a a strategy around that, but I can tell you there's um, uh, Choose FI is a podcast that I listen to about financial investment. It's really big around the FIRE movement. Um, um, Financially independent, Mm -hmm. retire early. Um, And that's kind of been the big um, aha that has led me down to the path of I want to be better educated on this topic so that I understand where my money is going and I understand the fees associated with where my money lives and who has my money and what they're Mm -hmm. doing with it. And um, so I think these are all really important things to be aware of. Uh, and there's so much to learn around that. So I'm glad that you have this podcast that you're, you're doing, Sean, to help educate others on this. For sure. I, I love investing. I kind of found my passion, gosh, close to 10 years ago. And um, yeah, I'm finally coming around and getting into the industry a little more. But, but on your end, it, it sounds like you're making some really smart plays. Index funds are wise investments, especially if you keep you know, if you can keep a reoccurring stream of income flowing into those every month, 
you know, if you have that discipline, which it sounds like you do, um, you look ahead, you know, five years, 10 years, you're going to really thank yourself for doing so. Mm-hmm. Um, and index funds are really just tracking the markets. And, um, you know, in times like this, they might be down a little bit because of COVID, but everything goes back up. It's, it's a collection of funds that have proven themselves and that, that fund will, it will go back up. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, last year we were looking at it because I know uh, I was just perusing some of your past conversations and you've asked like last year we had a 25% return, which was amazing. That is really good. This year it's not looking that hot right now, but, (laughs) um, but that was awesome. You know, just, and this is, we're paying more attention to these numbers. We're, we're, like I said, continuing to educate ourselves on, on this information because that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm curious, what percentage of you and your husband's income do you put into investments every month? Now that's a good question that I don't have the answer to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that is something again, going referencing choose FI um, that they talk a lot about that and knowing what percentage you're saving versus spending of your income. So this is something that we're kind of in the early stages of really being strategic around that. And what's interesting right now with what's happening with regards to um, the coronavirus is our net income last month and this month are insanely high because we're not spending any money. We're not going out. Right. Yeah. Um, which is really exciting. So it's, I'm curious how our habits are going to change in the future with regards to going out to eat and some other things because we're seeing um, what it looks like to not be spending money. Right. Yeah. You bring up a good point. This COVID-19 has caused people to really, you know, watch their spending. A lot of people I've talked to have said the same thing that they're spending significantly less. And then there's the flip side of that question, like, well, can you start investing more every month? Mm -hmm. And will your new budget continue even when the economy opens up and we can go back in public again? Um, Yeah, that's a good question. It's, you know, one thing I like to talk about with people is, it's not how much money, it's not the dollar amount to focus on, it's the percentage. And it's mm-hmm. the percentage you can put into your investments every month. And then it's the percentage of return. Because there's some people ask, well, how many dollars should I put in every month? It's like, you don't want to focus on that. You want to look mm-hmm. at percentages. So you're going back to your 25% in one year with index funds. That's really impressive. And last year was really good, but still 25%. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, and 25% is another number that is kind of in front of us heavily right now because we've got a, um, we've got our number, you know, like our retirement, mm-hmm. no, our fire number, basically. Yeah. And right now we are 25% of the way to that number, which is really awesome. exciting. Awesome. So when we're looking at the money we're saving right now, it's kind of motivating us to like, oh, well, how quickly can we get to that fire number? <laughs> Absolutely. Retiring early. That would be amazing. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, it sounds like you're well on your way. Um, I've got uh, another question here. If somebody wants to do what you're doing, let's focus on the agency. If they want to start an agency, um, how would you recommend they should start? 
I would say, um, first and foremost, find someone who's been in the spot that you want to be in. So, I mean, just marketing agency is really broad. If you've got a, a niche to focus on, whether it's a specific um, offering or a specific industry to pursue, that's, that's definitely going to serve you better. But find a mentor to give you some guidance on how to get started. Great advice. All right. Last group of questions. I call it the rapid fire round. If you could try to answer each question in 15 seconds or less. You ready? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> These are pretty fun questions. I think you'll okay. like them. So first question, what is your favorite podcast? Um, I love Build a Better Agency, which is by Drew McClellan. And he's speaking to me, basically agency owners and helping us be smart with our business. Cool. All right. What is a recent book you read that you would recommend? Well, it's Choose F5. <laughs> nice. It's, it's basically their blueprint to retiring early. Awesome. Good advice. All right. Favorite movie? I love all superhero movies. Marvel and DC? All of them. Yep. <laughs> I am with you. That's awesome. Uh, with the uh, Marvel movies, what's your favorite? Oh, um, uh, can you choose? I, I mean, I guess Avengers was the first thing that came to mind, but um, I don't know. Uh, and Endgame or Infinity War? Oh, I would say Endgame. I don't know. They're all good. I love all superhero movies. Okay. All right. We'll leave it at that. Okay. All right. Favorite food? Oh, pizza. Yeah. Tacos. I could eat tacos every day, actually. How many hours do you work per week? Too many. <laughs> I have Should we no leave it idea. at that? Yeah, I I don't log it because it's probably really depressing if I looked at it. I don't keep track of it in that sense. Well, on the path to fire, it's uh, it's a lot of work up front, but you were definitely rewarded down the road. So mm -hmm. we'll leave it at too many. All right, next question: How many hours of sleep do you get each night? I'd say six to seven. Okay, that's pretty good. And last question here, if you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit and what would you say? I'd probably go back to my early college years and tell myself to find a mentor. I think awesome. that's one, one thing I, I wish I would have done earlier is find a mentor. Yeah. Cool. All right, Lori, that's it. I want to turn it over to you. Where can the audience reach you? I'm extremely active on LinkedIn. So I'd say that's probably the best place to reach out and connect with me. Um, you can visit our website, keystoneclick.com. Otherwise, lauriehivey.com has um, all of my podcast information. Awesome. Thanks for joining me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot for having me, Sean. Thanks for listening to the Payback Time Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please provide a review on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. If you'd like to hear an interview from someone specific, please make a comment on the Payback Time Facebook page. If you're interested in becoming an affiliate and earning 30% reoccurring commission for simply sharing Ticker, visit ticker.pro slash affiliates. Remember, this show is for entertainment purposes only. If you heard any stock mentioned on this podcast episode, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is copyright protected by Payback Time. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Don't believe in